Today we wait in a world where darkness is present. You feel this. You sense it. You know it. But we praise God this morning that light has pierced the darkness. We praise God that we can have this light to guide us through the the brokenness of our worlds that we live in. So as we wait, we're going to worship. We're going to let Christ's light shine through us, purify us, illuminate us to be his disciples so that others will know that the Messiah was born for us and for the world. So as we follow the star and journey towards Christmas, we're going to be reminded, today we're reminded that uh, we can have a hope that lifts us from despair. Next week, love that reflects a divine source. The third week, joy that comes from remaining in God's presence and then finally culminating on Christmas Eve with a peace that calms all of our storms. So today we begin our journey with two stories that depict hope. I'm going to tell you two stories from from the Bible, one from the old and one from the new that are connected. Let's see if you can hear and find the connection in this story. But we're looking at a, a family from the book of Ruth that was struggling, going through despair, tough moments. Let me build the, the setting for you. It was, the setting is in the days of the judges in Old Testament history. Ruth 1.1 tells us that. This is about 1,000 years before Jesus was born. The geographic location is a town called Bethlehem. How many of you have heard of Bethlehem? Did you know that it's also was named um, Ephrath, meaning house of bread, right? What do you need to make bread? You need some stuff that's growing around you, right? Some wheat or barley, things like that, right? This is Bethlehem. And remember that not too long ago, Joshua had led the Israelites into this promised land. God had promised them that. He delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the wilderness, and he brought them to this land, the promised land, And he gave them a a warning, an insight. And Joshua said to them, choose yourself. Choose for yourself whom you will serve. As for me and my house. Okay, let me try. Let me get that. Let me have you try that again, right? You're going to finish Joshua's proclamation. It's like we're planting a stake in the ground, a banner saying, from today on, as for me and my house. We will serve you. We're going to serve the Lord. That's conviction, right? It's like, I know for certain. Well, that conviction wore off in much of the land. And it was the rule of the judges that were raised up at certain times to help the people overcome different things. But if you just turn back one page, if you found Ruth, turn back one page, you see in verse 25 of Judges describing those days. In those days, Israel had no king. And even when they had king, they didn't get it right. Because everyone did as he saw fit. If we all live that way, if we all place our hope on having uh, a good life and peace and love and doing all these things just because I'm making decisions on how I see fit, man, you're going to be in despair before you know it. This is why I'm encouraging you today to put your hope in Jesus Christ and through God, who is the source of hope. That's the setting. That's what they're living in. So we have this family. The family couple head is named uh, Elimelech and Naomi. And God blessed them with two boys, Malan and Kilian. So they're living there, but there's a famine in the land. A famine means there's no food, 
right? And we don't know for sure why there's no food there. Maybe because the people were living as they saw fit and moving out of that and God withheld rain perhaps for a number of times. Perhaps. We don't know for certain, but they went. They left the promised land and they decided to take a trip to, a, to the region of Moab, which is about 100 miles south um, east around the Dead Sea from Bethlehem. So I can just imagine these parents with these two boys maybe saying, are we there yet? How long did it take to go 100 miles in that day? You know, maybe you could walk 10 miles a day or maybe 15. So we're looking at a week, a week and a half journey through a place which is, you know, pretty dry and dusty. I can imagine the kids whining. Are we there yet? We're talking about despair because we have to lay the foundation of despair before we can get to hope. This is the world that we live in too, is it not? If we go out with a message of hope, it would be a great message because the world that we live in, there's despair all around. All you got to do is read the paper and look at the brokenness and the emptiness and the hurt and the struggle. We've got a message that is good for the world to hear, a message of hope. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring hope. But Elimelech and Naomi, they were traveling the despair didn't reach its depth, though. They got to Moab. They're there. They're living. And we hear from the book of Ruth that Elimelech dies. So now Naomi is in this foreign land with her two boys, and they're getting older. They're growing. But she loses her husband. That's a pretty, uh, that's a pretty bleak picture. But it gets worse. The despair deepens. We know that within the 10 years that they were there, Malin and Kilion, they, they, they got wives because Naomi knew that we had to pass on the family lane, right? Or else it would stop with these two. So they end up getting married. They didn't go back to Bethlehem to get wives. So they, again, they went and did things as they saw fit. They married women who were available and around. So young adults, don't just settle for your spouse. Don't just settle. Stay within God's descriptions for your spouse and who to marry. Well, they married anyway, but before they had children, Naomi's two sons died. Wow. You can't imagine that desperation. Naomi was feeling it. She was in the depths of this. So she begins to talk to the two uh, daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And she says, listen, I'm getting older. Even if I went home and found another husband and we had kids, by the time they get old enough to marry you, it would, you probably wouldn't wait that long. So she says, I'm encouraging you. Just stay here. Stay in your land of many gods. Worship them. Find new, find new husbands. I'm going to go back because she had received a glimmer of good news from home, that there was food there again. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. And they said, no, we're going to go with you. And then she says, now hold on. Let me tell you, it's not going to be that easy. I'm not sure you want to go with me. It's probably better for you to stay here. And she convinced Orpah to stay. But Ruth says, no, I'm going to go with you. And Ruth makes a statement here that's really powerful. Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
That's a convicted heart that turns to the God of Naomi. As we read this, we kind of see that there was a little bit more maybe than what the story suggests. At the end of verse 18 in chapter 1, when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. In some translations, she just says she stopped talking to her. You ever been around a situation where two women aren't talking to each other because they're fighting? Maybe like an in-law relationship or something like that? That can happen and it gets uncomfortable, right? But there was reason why Naomi perhaps didn't want her to go back. She knew that she had stepped out of God's provision. A long time ago, some of the Israelite men were attracted to the Moabite women. And they went after the Moabite women and began to to practice the, the religion that the false gods of the Moabites were doing. And even some of them brought a Moabite back into camp when they're in the wilderness. And God was displeased. And the reality of the situation is that now Naomi is going to go back to Bethlehem without a husband, without her two sons, without any grandchildren, with a foreign woman as a daughter-in-law. When she gets back to Bethlehem, It says the whole town knew about it. It was stirred up. Can you imagine it happened? Oh my goodness. Is that Naomi? Is that that a Moabite woman with her? The whole town was talking. Right? And they said, and they said, can this be Naomi? Look at her hair. Oh my. She hasn't, oh, they noticed. And Naomi knew that they knew. And she says, don't call me Naomi. You know, God sometimes has changed his name in scripture, right? For the good, a, a significant point in her life. And she was like, I'm going to change my name. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because, because this. Now she points her finger at God because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. So she's casting blame at God right here. She's in a really deep, dark, despair moment. But there is hope that was remaining for her. The story doesn't end here. And this is a good thing for us to know today. When you're at a deep, dark place in your life, when you're at a struggling moment, you got to hold on. You got to take a good look at things, but you got to get your eyes fixed on what God is doing and what he promises to do and what he will do for you. And this this woman that became her daughter-in-law named Ruth, who pledged her allegiance to her God, was a way and method through whom God showed hope to this. All right, so let's switch gears and talk about hope because this is what lifts us from despair. The Lord had provided food to the people that stayed in Bethlehem, right? That's one of the lessons we can get from this is that our timing may not be the same as God's timing, but those that stayed there, they didn't flee because of the famine. God provided for them and Boaz was thriving. The Lord had provided food. The next instance of hope that we see, it just begins to flicker a little bit brighter for Naomi and Ruth is that when they went back, they still had to get food, right? Now, they had land that was Elimelech's property, but it wasn't worked. It wasn't, seed wasn't planted. There was no harvest there. So how are they going to get food? Well, the process was to glean. 
was to go to someone's field where they were harvesting and it was the time of the barley harvest and to go around the field and take what they're not picking up or the part that left. We don't glean a whole lot in today's culture, but she went and the Lord directed her, which field should I go to? The Lord directed her to the field of Boaz. You see hope building. So Boaz, the master of the field, comes home one day and he sees his servants out there doing it and he's pleased and he says, hey, who's that, who's that young woman over there? She's not wearing our local garb. What's this foreigner doing? Who is she? And one of the servants says, well, this is the woman that came back with Naomi. This is the woman who sacrificed her, her lifestyle and decided to come and to be faithful to Naomi. And I want to tell you something else, master. She's working better than some of our own servants. <laughs> In the heat of the day, she only took one little break to get a drink, but she's there faithfully working. And Boaz says, let me check her out. Let me talk to her. And he does. And he says, you're welcome to come here and glean. And he gives her some food. So Ruth then goes back to Naomi and expresses the day. And she says, I actually talked with Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz, he's a close relative of ours. So Naomi, she begins to, to have some hope built up in her, some life, some flicker of life saying, well, maybe God is doing something here. And she says, Ruth, I need you to get cleaned up a little bit. I can tell you're out working in the sun all day. You're a little stinky. Let's put on some perfume. And here, let's put on some nicer clothes. <laughs> Naomi was saying, there might be something here for us. She goes, I know Boaz is going to be staying where they're doing the threshing, on the threshing floor. He's going to be there with his servants. He's that kind of master. He's going to be working with them. So he says, tonight, after they eat, after he lays down, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go to where he's laying without anyone really knowing. And I want you to uncover his feet. That's kind of a weird kind of like cultural practice that we don't do. We only notice it if like our feet are too hot or too cold in the night. Like, where are my covers? But this was a way that they could express to each other, like, I know that you're close family and that you have the ability to redeem me, to be a kinsman redeemer, which means that you will take me in to be with your family with the hope of providing future generations that will carry on the name of the deceased in my family that couldn't. And the way they were signified that I'm available and I recognize that you can do this was this expression. So Ruth comes in, she lays down, she uncovers Boaz's feet. And of course he wakes up and he says, who's done this? Who are you? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. And he knew what was going on. And he gave her more food and he made up his mind. He says, I will, I will follow through with the redeeming process. And she's a Moabite woman laying at his feet. He's a respected landover in Bethlehem. Oh, it shows of God's love pouring through him and is an example of us of Christ's love to the Gentiles. Jesus came first for the nation of Israel, but then also to the Gentiles. We are in the position of Ruth on the outside, yearning for acceptance through God's plan. So Boaz, the next morning, he goes to the town gate. He gathers elders. He gathers the person who was ahead of him to be the kinsman redeemer and says, here's the situation. 
Will you redeem this family? And the guy was all in with the property. He says, I'll take the property. I'll redeem that property. It could be mine and my fortune will go larger. But then Boaz also says, but just to let you know, there is a woman involved that you have to marry and take into your own family. And he says, oh, wait a second. That might harm my fortune. So I don't think I'm going to redeem now. So we know nothing about him. We know nothing about that other guy. But then Boaz says, I'm next in line and I'll do it. I'll redeem her. And there was an exchange of a sandal to finish the deal. Now, Naomi was our character who was in desperation. She had lost her husband. She had lost her two sons. There's no grandchildren. Let's pick up the story in Ruth chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her. And the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. I just think about that grandmother holding this child and thinking where she was and where she is now. And the hope that's rising in her. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. Have you heard of Obed? Now keep following. He was the father of Jesse. Have you heard of Jesse? <laughs> Jesse became the father of David. Whoa! In David's line is this woman who is outside of the, of the promised people. And yet God used Ruth and Naomi and Boaz to continue the line that he had prepared to bring us David. Boaz's names is continuing to be spoken and said thousands of years after this. So he was famous. Here's a point that I want you to get this morning from this story. God is the source of hope. God is the source of hope. If we put our hope in our, in, in our ability to be right and to be perfect and to do the right thing, we're going to fail and be disappointed. The same thing with people around us, Right? Yeah, we have expectations for us and ways to live, but ultimately God is the source of hope that won't disappoint you. God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he's going to do. The timing may not be ours. The situations may be different, but ultimately you can find hope. Hope, a living hope in Jesus Christ that goes through any situation. I pray that you experience that through this Advent season. Three applications for you to think about. The Naomi application. What's this application? Naomi knew God. She knew what he had done to bring her people to this land, right? But she turned away. She went and she began to do as she saw fit. The Naomi application is to return to God. Return, repent, and turn back to the promise of hope and live out. Because God is merciful. And he is gracious and he will forgive all your sins. That might be what some of you need to take away from this, this first story. I need to do the Naomi application. The second is the Ruth application. 
Ruth left the false gods that her people worshipped and turned to the living God of hope. I'll put this out there for any of you this morning who perhaps haven't professed hope in God. Is that if we're not following the living God, the God of the Bible, the God who became flesh in Jesus Christ, then we're following an incomplete God or a false God. It may be the God of self who only lives what self wants to do. It may be the God of materialism, maybe the God of entertainment, but there's something that's dictating your life. Well, Ruth made a change. She says, I want to go and your God will be my God. And then God birthed through her the ancestors of King David. That's amazing. Boaz. What's the Boaz application? Boaz stayed in the land. He continued to farm and do and God provided for him. He stayed there and out of his abundance of God's blessing, Boaz was able to pass on to needy people what they needed. And God did a powerful thing through him. So maybe some of you are able to give green beans better than others, right? And out of your provision, you can bless people from that. And maybe some of you can better provide for people that, whose house just burned down and what they might need today. Or someone that come across you in your neighborhood where, oh man, they, they just need a, uh, some help right now. And you can be a source of hope where God's hope flows through you during this Christmas season. God is the source of hope, and he's the hope in the everyday, right? So what if we live the next four weeks thinking about hope a little bit every day? Let's transition to another story. This one's in the book, uh, the Gospel of Luke, if you want to turn with me. Luke chapter 1, in this familiar story for us in the Advent season. And here's the background of this story. The setting is there's a young teenage girl, young teenage girl growing up in a small town called Nazareth, and she's engaged to marry a man named Joseph who was a carpenter, but they haven't yet been married or consummated the marriage. She receives an angelic visit from Gabriel who tells her, do not be afraid. It's a good lead in line from an angel to humanity, right? Because we see that throughout scripture, like, whoa, there's an angel talking to me. Who is this? Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and you'll give birth to a son. So that's a big message for a virgin, teenage girl. He keeps revealing things about this baby that she was going to have. You'll name him Jesus, which means he's going to be a savior, Yeshua. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. Now she's beginning to think that this is, this is going to be something radically different than has ever been experienced before. Because she's thinking, I, I've not been with a man. God will give him the throne of his father, David. Okay, so the setting is this Jewish girl knew who David was. And we begin to talk about David and the promise that God gave him that someone from his family would sit on the line forever. This promise then that the angel Gabriel gave to Mary began to really dial in who this baby would be. It's going to be the Messiah, the one they were waiting for, the promised one. He said, he'll reign forever. and His kingdom will never end. Whoa, dealing with this 
just announcing this to Joseph and to her family threw this little town into a little bit of despair, right? It's hard for people to believe that this was happening or could happen. We'd be the same way. We would be the same way, right? So Mary had to take a little vacation to let things calm down a little bit. Joseph, we'll talk about Joseph's reaction next week. Mary had to get out of town a little bit and let people just kind of, hmm, and maybe some of them didn't know yet, but she went to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And while she was engaging with Elizabeth, Elizabeth, who was pregnant with John the Baptist, something special happened between them two, a spark, right, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth confirmed to Mary, like, how blessed am I that I can be here with you, the mother of my Lord. So this is crazy. And, and Mary then at this point expresses hope. She gives it voice. She gives it a testimony, which I encourage you to hear in Luke 1, starting at verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done greater things, great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. What a proclamation of hope. This is happening right now. God is acting. He's moving. He's doing it through me, a humble servant. But it's not just for me. It's for the nation. It's for the world. She realized it and she expresses it. She gives hope. A testimony. So through Advent season, what I want to encourage you to do as we focus in on hope is I want you to think about what God has done in your life, how he's blessed you. Right? Has he been faithful to you? Has he provided for you? Has he given you physically what you need to live through various ways? Has he healed you? And then we start to think about what he's done for us in Jesus Christ, the spiritual blessings. Has he forgiven you of your sins and your shame? Has he taken up residence within you and given you the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and teach you? You begin to say this out loud. It doesn't have to be in a group or public, but you say, oh God, I'm thankful that I know you. You begin to give hope, voice, and see how it doesn't shift your day because there's going to be things that threaten you to be a hopeful people from now till Christmas Day. Oh, I got to clean the house again. There's family coming over. I wish we didn't get together so much for Christmas. I got to clean every other week. Oh, boy, I better bake something. Oh, and I have to get fewer more gifts for this person. Man, I haven't thought about a gift for my wife yet, and it's Christmas Eve. Oh, gosh, man, there's nothing left on the shelves. Why is this? Right? There's going to be things that threaten you to lose track of the season. So begin each day the practice of voicing what God has done and the hope that you have 
and through Him sending Jesus to be one who was born to save. This is the truth of what Christmas means. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost and to provide His life as a gift for humanity that we might have a relationship with a holy God. This is the meaning of Christmas. It's a gift that no one else can match. It's unique. If we begin to say, Jesus, thank you for coming. My hope that you can do the immeasurable thing in my life is based upon what you've already done. You begin to give voice to that and you say like Mary does, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You can say that. You begin to give hope, testimony. And it helps you hold the meaning of Christmas through this journey. It's going to be threatened, believe me, right? Even open houses, which intended to be a blessing, can threaten the joy of the season. Ah, ah, I really should clean this area too. Ah, now don't look too closely today because I was the cleaning supervisor. Actually, that's not probably true. Tracy was supervisor of all areas. I just had a secondary title of cleaning. I didn't cook hardly anything, so you're safe there. <laughs> but give voice to what God has done, right? Jesus was born to save. Sing a song of hope. What's your favorite Christmas song? Joy to the world, the Lord has come, right? Let earth receive her king. Jesus, you're my king today. Whenever you start to feel like hope, the hope of the season is kind of not even there. You're feeling despair more than hope. Oh, you need to kind of recenter and re-get re, re in the right path to the journey to Christmas, right? God's path provides lots of entry points back on. Sometimes we stray off and we can get despair and despondent, but come back on, sing a song and let it be this. Here's one, that 1 Peter 1.3. You might use scripture to help you with these songs. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us birth into a living hope. Because the hope that we have is not exhausted and done. It's only going to get brighter and better as we go forward. Even as we experience death, we have hope that life continues on. Amen? If I have to perform your funeral or yours mine, may it be said that I know for certain that he is alive today or that you're alive today because we lived a life of faith based on the hope that there is more to this world than what can be seen. We're taking a journey towards Christmas. Next week, our journey will reflect on love. But I leave you with these questions. What if the things that we learn along this journey could stick with us in 2018? So we're talking about hope, not just so we can make it to Christmas and say, I can't think about hope anymore. But if we do this for a month and we focused in on hope that this might be something that we can carry over into the next year. And the same with love and joy and peace. And we become a congregation where hope resides in us. Hope that God's at work in the everyday. That's the story of Naomi. God is the source of hope, and he was working in their lives to bring them back into his plan. If we do that, it'll help us keep our eyes focused on his promises and his working in our lives. Hey, it's good. It'll be a gift to us in our best days if we can remember that the blessings come from Jesus. 
It'll be good for us in our darkest days if we can be hopeful and know that God is for us, not against us. Amen? That God has a plan for us that includes giving us hope. So what if we, like Mary, sing a song of joy because we also carry around in us Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. And we sing a song of joy. Mary gave voice to hope as she carried the divine incarnation. May we also be a hopeful people for our God has come to us and made a way. Jesus is the hope of the nations. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for the, for the hope that we have in you, Jesus. Um, and Lord, I pray that you would sharpen that hope. Forgive us. I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness in advance, Lord, because there will be times where we lose track of hope in this journey towards Christmas. Uh, but Lord, we pray that we would be reminded often and frequently as we look into your word that we have so much to be hopeful for. So thank you. Thank you for each person here, Lord, and I pray that they are blessed as they lean into your provision, as they lean into your promises, as we lean into Jesus Christ, who was born to give us hope for this world and hope for beyond. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.